Hello, I'm Don, and I'm an imperfect preacher. Hi, Don. Good, that's what you're supposed to say. I need your support today, because I'm going to do something different. I've brought texts before that we haven't heard on Sunday, so I'm going to do that again. But the thing that I'm going to do different today is... I'm going to walk through this reading with you line by line, and we're going to look at it in more detail. You know, normally, uh, the way I was taught preaching was that, you know, I'll take a text, any text, right, and kind of look at it and form it and try and find ways to illustrate it, maybe be, get creative with it in a way that basically tells you the meaning of it or just what it says, but in a, a more illustrative way. Well, today we're just going to kind of look at it line by line, all right? Because I think it deserves to be studied a little closer, and we have the time for that. So let's do it, all right? This is a verse that comes after the normal readings for today, so I've skipped ahead a little bit, and I've already read it to you the first time I've ever read it in church, and so this is also the first time I've ever preached on this text from Luke. And so I'll read for it, through it line by line. You can follow along with the text in your service folder, or you can use the King James Version there in your pews, or you can just listen to my version that I translated from the, the Greek uh, New Testament. Now, it starts out with uh, a paragraph, or a little bit, with Jesus talking to the Pharisees. And then he's going to turn and he's going to talk to his disciples. Remember when, when uh, Pastor Lineman was here last Sunday and he mentioned that, you know, sometimes in these, in these stories of Jesus, he's talking to one group and then he, it's almost like he shifts and he talks to another group. That's what's happening here again. And so it's, this text is broken down into two parts. The first part is the kingdom of God is here now. And then he's going, Jesus is going to shift and talk to his disciples and he's going to tell us and them how to prepare for the kingdom. How to prepare for the last day when Jesus returns. All right, here we go. Verse 20. And when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with close observation. Neither will they say, Look here or there, because you look, the kingdom of God is among you. Wow, that's pretty pointed, isn't it? Right? He's telling them, the kingdom's here now. You look. Don't be looking for signs here. So he's talking to the Pharisees, who, interestingly, would entertain these false prophets and these false teachers who would come to them and seek audience with them and say, we want to tell you a vision that we had. We think, we think the Messiah will come in such and such a day. Let's, let's talk it over. And they would listen to them and discern whether they were, you know, charlatans or not, and throw them out if they were. Uh, but the Pharisees liked this stuff. They liked to look for signs. And um, they liked to do this close observation. And so Jesus tells them pointedly, do not look... Do not look for it too closely. Don't look for it in numbers and in, you know, don't add up years and, and try and look for it in numbers. Don't, don't look for it in the sky. Don't look for it in the stars. Don't listen to these people that tell you that there are signs, right? Um, Jesus says to them, neither will they say, look here or there. Don't look. Because you look, the kingdom of God is among you now. The kingdom is present now. 
And if we were to go back to Luke chapter 11, we can see Jesus already giving the sign that he is here. Because he says earlier in Luke, but if by a finger I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God is here upon you now. Right? That's your sign. I have thrown out demons with just a word or touch of the finger and they fled. That's your sign. That's your sign that the, that the kingdom is here now. Now he shifts to the disciples and he says to them, days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. Well, that's kind of strange, isn't it? What are the days, one of the days of the Son of Man? Well, let's go back. Days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. So two days mentioned here. Days will come. Jesus is talking about the days between Pentecost and the last day. That's the days that you and I are in right now. And that's the days that the disciples will be in after Jesus ascends to, into heaven and Pentecost comes. You remember Pentecost in the book of Acts. Those are the days will come. And in those days, these disciples are going to long to see one of the days of the sons of man. And you will not see it, he says. So after Jesus is gone, after Jesus is ascended into heaven, it's going to be tough for the disciples, isn't it? They're going to be persecuted. Some of them will be killed. There'll be all kinds of trouble and tribulation. And Jesus is saying, you guys are going to wish that you were back with me when I was walking with you. And you can't have it. You can't go back. Those days you will not see again. And they will say to you, Jesus says, and they will say to you, well, who's the they? These false prophets. These false prophets will say to you, look there and look here for a sign. Jesus says, do not go away with them and pursue these things. Years ago, when we were back in Missouri at a restaurant, I was just a student back then, right? And the, the server, you know, I don't remember how the conversation come up, came up, but it came up in conversation with the server that I was a student studying theology at Concordia Seminary, and, and, and she, says, she lightens up, she lights up, and she says, oh, I'm a, uh, I'm a student at such and such Bible college, and I'm studying eschatology. Well, if you study eschatology, that is the pursuit of the end times. Okay, so um, eschaton, that's Greek for the, the end days or the last day. You put ology on the back of that, and that's the pursuit, the study of that thing, of that subject. But if you look at eschatology in places like Missouri and in, in, in places where um, there's a the heavy, bit more Baptist influence or congregational influence, uh, you'll find that that eschatology can be uh, loaded with a lot of looking for signs and trying to add up the numbers and figuring out when Jesus will return. And Jesus says right here, do not pursue that stuff. Now, I was young, you know, more naive. I, I, I just looked at her and said, oh, that's interesting. All right, but knowing what I know now, knowing what you know now, right, you can say, uh, you might want to look at Luke chapter 17, he says, don't pursue that stuff. Don't pursue, how does he put it earlier? Do not come, the kingdom of God does not come with close observation. We Lutherans, we do 
study it in as much as what Jesus says here and in Revelation, but we don't go trying to add up the numbers trying to figure out when Jesus is returning. Because as we will see, it will be sudden. He goes on to say, for, uh, Jesus just goes on to say, for just as the lightning flashing lights up from one end of heaven to the other end of heaven. Okay, so you've seen lightning go from one end of the sky to the other at night. It's pretty hard to miss, isn't it? That's what he's saying. It will be clear to you. You will see it when the Son of Man will be in his day. So what Jesus means by that is when I return, you will see it. It will be clear, like lightning going from one end of the sky to the other. But first, it's necessary that he suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So he's telling the disciples, this is pretty clear to understand, I'm going to suffer and die first before this happens. But notice he says, I'm going to be rejected by this generation. Don't take this to mean that he's talking just about the generation of the disciples. When Jesus says this generation, he means everyone between the time that he arrived on Christmas to the last day. Maybe not the people of Israel in Jacob's time. That's a different generation. This generation. What's important to you and me is that we are of this generation that he is speaking of. And so are our forefathers, our grandparents and their grandparents, and so will our children and their children will be this generation. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so this is where Jesus is going to start telling us how to prepare for the sudden arrival of the days of the Son of Man, the last day, which we know as the, the last day of earth, of this earth. He gives us two examples, Noah and Lot's wife. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were getting married until the day on which Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed all. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying. The people uh, that Noah tried to warn, well, they just went about their business, right? They eat, they drank, they got married. Jesus is listing the things that we do on a regular basis. These are, these are normal things. As I was reading over this text earlier this week, I, I couldn't but help think of the people in Florida, you know, uh, suffering after the hur Hurricane Ian. Anybody own property in Florida? Okay. Well, I'm not meaning to pass judgment on anyone, but it seems to me that if you're going to purchase property in Florida and build on it, you need to have an exit plan. You need to have an exit strategy. And we've been hearing stories recently of people who um, did have an exit plan and managed to escape the death or destruction, but there were a lot of people who didn't and got caught in it and died. So, an exit strategy, right? You're going to purchase property there, do it with some kind of a backup plan. A friend who lives 100 miles, 200 miles inland, have it worked out with that friend that, hey, you know, when you see storms brewing in the mid-Atlantic and they start moving west, 
call your friend up, we're coming over, right? Lock your house, leave everything behind, and go be with the friend, or a family member, or book a hotel, something. Have an exit plan. In the days of Noah, the people did not have an exit plan. They were caught off guard. Right? They just went about their business until the flood came and destroyed all. Likewise, just as it happened in the days of Lot, they were eating, they were drinking, and he lists some more things. They were shopping, they were buying and selling, they were farming, they were planting, they were building, just normal business. But on the day on which Lot went out of Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed everything. Now, do you remember why Lot's wife turned back and died? First of all, you remember how she died? How did she die? She was turned into a pillar of salt. And, and that salt, yeah, that doesn't remain anymore. You can't go to the Middle East and find it. She's not there anymore. She died. Uh, why did she look back? Her heart was there, yeah. She looked back at Sodom and all her possessions were still there. Some of her friends, her, her old life. And she looked back to just get one more glance at it. After being told, After being told yeah. To, to move forward. Now, that's kind of what's going on here. Jesus is saying, uh, remember Lot's wife and don't do the same. You know, I sometimes wonder if, <clears throat> as I was reading this, you know, is that a sin to do that? Because, you know, it is the temptation to look back at part of your life and that is part of the cross that we bear. And so, is it a sin? Well, you know, it's connected with that old self, part of the old self that remains, right? That wants to look at our lives and remain and hold on to some of that. I'm thinking of, uh, you know, I, you've all got the things that you love about this life, right? I love music and art, that kind of thing. You've got your thing, whatever it is. And, and I, I think sometimes when, when my days are, are, are coming to a close, right? If I'm on my deathbed or whatever, I know I've only got a certain amount of time left. I think, man, I want to listen to my favorite album one more time. I want to watch my favorite movie one more time before I die. But is Jesus warning not to do that kind of thing? You know, that's kind of clinging on to the, to the old life because all that stuff is not going to go with us. It's all going to be consumed in the fire. Yeah, your favorite album, your favorite movie, I'm sorry, your favorite car, no, whatever. I, that's all going to be gone. According, Jesus says, according to the same things, it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed, on the day that He returns. On that day, He who will be on the roof and His possessions in the house, He must not go down to take them up. You can't take that stuff with you. And the one in the field, likewise, must not return to what is behind. Don't go back to Oh, I'm going to need some crop. I'm going to need some food in the field. Remember the wife of Lot. So, but if you have already lost your life by dying with Christ in your baptism and being raised to new life in a resurrection like His, okay, then you have saved your life. He has saved your life through it, right? So for you and me, right, even though we bear the cross of clinging on to the old stuff, 
That old stuff has died with us in our baptism, and we are raised to new life. You know, but people driving by here right now, who knows what their situation is? Maybe they're like the people of Noah's time. They have no idea. They've, they haven't heard this. They don't know. They don't know that there's a, an end coming. Uh, they don't know that it's going to be sudden. And they need to know, right? I say to you, Jesus says, on that night there will... Okay, this is where it gets really strange. This is verse 34. So he's, he's told us how to be ready, right? Don't hold on to the things of the past. Keep your eyes looking forward. Trust in me. Trust in the days of the Son of Man. He says to you, on verse 34, I say to you, on that night, there will be two in one bed. That's what your English translation might say, two in one bed. In the Greek, it's two men in one bed. One will be taken away and the other will be left. This is not about homosexuality. It's not even about a Burton Ernie kind of friendship where, you know, two guys live together. This is a, if you look at the next, two ex, next couple of examples, this is an agricultural context because after all, who is Jesus usually talking to? Who, who, what are the backgrounds of, of the disciples even? Fishermen, workers, farm, people who've worked on farm, vineyard workers, right? It's an agricultural thing. So, two men in bed together, right? Okay, well, these are the people that heard this originally weren't thinking of a same-sex thing. They were thinking, oh, these are workers in the field. Whether they're married and have homes of their own, often they work far away and they have to stay with the other workers in some, you know, bungalow or some house or dorm or something, and often they sleep in the same bed. Several years ago, you know, I was at a uh, pastor's conference in Roseburg, and the hotel that we were staying at just happened to be the same hotel where the construction workers were staying that were working on a big building project next door. And you could see that in an effort to save money, or whether it was the company that hired them to save money, doubled them up in these rooms. They had to sleep together. Probably not in the same bed, but you get the idea, right? So we're to picture these, agric- these, these working men, they're in the same bed, but the one guy wakes up, hey, whoa, where's the other guy? He's gone. Sudden. Likewise, there will be two women grinding at the same place. Well, grinding what? Grain, Grain exactly. Milling. So they're working away, hum-de-do-ho-de-do, you know, it's just whatever. Oh, all of a sudden... One is gone, one is left behind. Now here's where we come on the missing mysterious verse, 36. Here's how it goes. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Same kind of thing. I think what it is, is later manuscripts could be that Christians who were transcribing these added those in as more clarification that this is a This is a thing where people are going to be working, doing the normal things of life, and Jesus will come suddenly, and he will take some to heaven and leave some behind to be consumed in the fire that will destroy everything. The end will be clear and sudden. That's the the gist of this text. But there's a little bit more. The disciples answering him said, Well, where, Lord? Where will they be taken? 
And he says to them, very cryptically, where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered together. It will be clear, like when you're looking for a dead person out in the field, you'll, the location will be where the buzzards are. That's how clear it will be. Now, someone at the 8.30 service said, well, it could go the other way around, right? So, uh, you're saying that Jesus says that some will be taken to heaven and others will be left here to die? Well, or it could be some will be taken, the goats will be taken off to be consumed in the fire, and those of us who believe will remain here and be resurrected on this earth. It could work both ways. I, I, you could look at it both ways. Either way, some will be taken for condemnation, damnation, some will be left here. That's why it's important to believe, believe now, and be ready. And don't hold on to the old things of this life. Live in daily repentance. If we're going to get anything from this text, it would be what, the, what Christians have used this text for for a millennia. Live in daily repentance and trust in God's forgiveness in Jesus. Take comfort that we have trust in the Son of Man who suffered and died for us so that who, he was rejected so that God the Father would never reject us. That's good news, my friends. May it be for you. We say all the time, come Lord Jesus, meaning come now. And some will say, no, I want to live my life. I'm not ready to go yet. Maybe that's hanging on to the old ways a little bit too much. We suffer and we have pain, so we want Christ to return now. Do so, Lord, quickly. Amen.